From the high desert of northern New Mexico, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Aparicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day. Political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one, and this time not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. With the advent of the nuclear age, Western science reached the pinnacle of invention but lacked a critical understanding of its underlying wisdom or purpose. Carl Jung framed the problem as modern man in search of a soul. When the Western mind turned outward searching for what was missing, it first turned to the East. A trickle of Eastern gurus soon became a flood. And by the late 1960s, all sorts of gurus, roshis, rinpoches, and other teachers were promising some form of mastery of life, if only one followed their path. Many Americans embarked upon this quest for spirituality, mostly in California and later across the nation. Our guests, Dan Millman and Ron Boyer, were at the forefront of the California movement. They not only embraced Eastern wisdom, they took an active part in remaking Western psychology, at the time mired in psychoanalysis and behaviorism, into a humanistic third force of psychology that expanded the discipline to include religion, spirituality, and self-actualization. Along the way, they discovered not only the benefits, but also the pitfalls of embarking on a spiritual path. This is their story. So welcome, Dan and Ron. I, I want to introduce you properly, uh, but uh, greetings. First, let's introduce Dan. Dan Millman, a former world trampoline champion, a Stanford University gymnastics coach, a martial arts instructor, Oberlin College professor, has authored 18 books published in 29 languages. Way of the Peaceful Warrior, after being republished by New World Library, became a mega bestseller and was adapted to film in 2006. Dan has traveled widely, teaching in over 30 countries. His most current book is Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, which is the true story of his spiritual quest. To learn more about his books, events, online courses, and life purpose calculator, visit www.peacefulwarrior.com. Welcome, Dan. And now Ron Boyer, Ronald L. Boyer, M-A-D-D-I-V, Doctor of Divinity, a Jungian depth psychology protege and colleague of Dr. Stanley Krippner. He helped Stan create the original curriculum model for the Humanistic Psychology Institute 
now Saybrook University, back in the early 70s. And he went on to become the director of the Sonoma Institute, the first accredited graduate training program in the nation for psychotherapists trained to the humanistic transpersonal framework. An award-winning poet, author, and screenwriter, Ron is also the director of the Krippner Institute for Indigenous Studies and currently a doctoral student in cultural and historical studies of religion at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. So, hello. Okay. How's everyone doing today? Glad to be here. Good good to be here. Okay. We're going to start with a... A softball question. Well, I joke slightly, but um, I think it's safe to say that both of you have uh, engaged in a, this spiritual path and have developed a fair bit of self-awareness along the way. But my first question for, for both of you is, where does awareness come from? Does awareness arise or do we simply awaken to awareness that is already there? Well, where does awareness a, come from? Quite a question to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. It, it remains a mystery, but in the beginning was awareness. Um, I view that as who we ultimately are, of the same consciousness or awareness shining through billions of eyes and uh, human and other creatures. Um, and awareness, uh, as we all know, changes moment to moment in each of us, the quality uh, and the depth. So that's all I could say about that big question, where does awareness come from? How about you, Ron? <laughs> okay, Ron, you're on. Yeah, the trickster is at work here, Glenn. Um, hardly a softball question. It leads us directly into the mystery of being and of existence, um, of consciousness itself and of our fundamental nature as consciousness. And just the fact that we're here in a conscious form is to me one of the great, great miracles and, and mysteries of life and the, the quest to understand that as the nature of our existence seems to me to be one of the fundamental and eternally unanswerable questions. And that questioning um, for me began with the, the, the zeitgeist of, of the 60s, where that search for the, the soul that had been lost that you quoted from Jung um, really began in, in mainstream culture. And there were many, many components to that. The, the lack of the ability of mainstream cultural traditions, basically Judeo-Christian religion, to be able to speak to those spiritual questions and needs. It was, you know, a given 
faith or doctrine um, that we were enculturated in rather than a, a radical questioning of reality and the nature of reality. And that was aided by many factors, um, I think, for, for uh, Dan and myself, um, the encounter with um, psychedelics was, was a piece of that. It opened our perception um, radically to, a, to uh, a, a critique of the consensual reality that we'd been you know, raised to believe in. And out of that came a desire to understand our, our, our nature and the nature of reality um, in more depth. And, and mm. that kind of was the, the beginning of the, the spiritual quest, looking for um, uh, elders and spiritual teachers uh, who might have some answers to those mysteries. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, in preparation for this interview, I ingested some mushrooms. I had some portobello and shiitake this morning with my omelet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I find that actually any mushrooms can be very grounding. Absolutely. I remember having a, a being actually since in Berkeley, California with grandfather Leon Secatero and going to a Chinese restaurant. And he very gen he was the softest, sweetest, mellifluous soul I knew. So he, he, he turned to the waiter and he just politely asked, "Can you please bring me a plate of mushrooms?" <laughs> and that's what he did. Yeah, it was a good restaurant. So anyway, um, you started to get into um, your experience in the in the '60s and the '70s, and I appreciate that because that is the kernel where we're going to go. So. I'm wondering about your experiences with those various teachers, you know, and I, I, uh, I often think about the original meaning of teacher as from the old English Laren, which is the source of the modern learn and lore. So something about teachers to me that the original teachers were all storytellers and they learned as much as they were disseminating knowledge while they were telling these stories. So I'm wondering about your, you know, your teachers and mentors. We could talk a long time about that probably, but how have they helped you along the way? And how have they maybe hindered you or, you know, and what did you learn even from the mentors that may have disappointed you? You know, because I remember what Dan Moonhawk Alford told me, which is that you can learn from anyone even if you only learn what is a bad example. So, so tell us a little bit about that story. Let's go back to Dan. Okay, let me that's... jump back. Let me jump back. Uh, when I was emerging, perhaps pre-adolescence, um, because emerging from the soupy, dreamlike state of young childhood, um, I looked up and around, and one day it, it struck me, I, I went, you know, most of us just put our nose to the grindstone, aim ahead, doing what we're supposed to do, what we've learned in our society, whatever that society may be. But I, I, I started asking myself, what is this all for? What is life about? What are the rules here? And that began a lifelong calling of collecting quotations. I was trying to find pithy wisdom based on the idea that nobody's smarter than all of us. So I found male and female voices. The first quote I ever came across was Ben Franklin, a penny saved is a penny earned. And that seemed true to me. 
It seemed like valuable, practical advice. But then I came across a contradictory quote. Um, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I didn't know whether to risk or to save. And then I learned that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And there may be some truth in that because, you know, even when we shower, we probably go through the same turning, same direction, same routine. We, we have these fixed routines and there's a danger of when we get older, uh, catching psychosclerosis, hardening of the attitudes. <laughs> so, so, but, but yeah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, except you're never too old to learn. Yeah. And then I came across the quote, um, Birds of a feather flock together. Now that seemed true, except opposites attract. And absence makes the heart grow fonder, but out of sight, out of mind. And it was only when I came across this, this quotation that for the first time, we've all heard it, obviously, as the chain breaks at its weakest link, but I couldn't find anything to contradict it. And that was the first time I stumbled on what I would call spiritual law, a universal principle. And it's a law because it's consistent, it works every time, and it's universal. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we also break at our weakest link, physical, emotional, mental, sexual, social, financial. Um, so I was finding guidance in universal wisdom um, around the world from various, various people. But that's when that awareness just struck me. And we all agree, awareness seems like a good thing, but it's not always pleasant. <laughs> you know, when we start seeing the shadow elements and, and maybe Ron can address that. But so I wanted to jump back to that time rather mm -hmm. than, than just going into uh, the teachers we met as we were more or less grown adults. Yeah. Um, and I, I, if I could add one more thing here, um, I was really into self-improvement. I mean, I took memory courses, speed reading, speed mathematics, word power made easy, um, sleight of hand, ventriloquism. I was into learning everything and anything I could to improve myself, which seems like a good thing. The better each of us is, it's better for the planet. But then one day, another kind of light bulb moment, it struck me that no matter how much I improve myself, only one person benefited. But if I could impact other people somehow, and I think that's a calling all three of us have, um, that made my life more meaningful. I didn't know how at the time that I might do that. But I think that commitment to share what I had learned with others, I think was the first calling uh, to be a teacher of sorts. Um, that's what I think opened me up to meeting in the, in the odd ways I did, the four mentors over a 20-year period. And, and that's my prelude, pe prelude, if you will. And let me hand off to Ron. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to you for, those, for the teachers. Sure. But yeah, we'll go to Ron. Thank you. That was yeah. good. Great, Dan. Um, just a, a quick note, when we get back to those teachers, um, I know, Dan, um, because of our shared experience with one of them, uh, we met um, in San Francisco um, in 1975, and, uh, and we can, can talk about that. Uh, just a quick note, one of the things I appreciate about what you, you just shared, Dan, um, was the nature of paradox, and that um, um, it's possible. It reminds me of the, 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 the maxim that um, it's possible for two opposite truths 
to exist at the same time. And that that's one of the the big lessons that I think uh, we've all ex- encountered in, in our lives. Um, in terms of teachers, there are so many because they begin, you know, when we pop out and, and our parents are our teachers and then, yes. you know, our, our family and the friends of the family and um, the school systems we eventually enter and so forth. And, and um, all of those combine to shape our, our awareness in our consciousness, in our, our, our view and perspective on the nature of reality and how we interpret it. For me, I also had, to, had, a, had a need from an early age to find my own answers. And... The, the, those teachers came for me in the form of hard lessons, uh, the school of hard knocks, and in the form of books, some of which I was introduced to in the course of, you know, uh, mainstream learning. But uh, I think all of us probably have large libraries and those books were our friends and still are. And that's why they're still on our bookshelves after, you know, um, all of these years. We can still find um, a reflection of, of truths uh, articulated in, in magnificent ways by immortals, um, uh, literary immortals, you know, from from Shakespeare to to whomever, um, so through those that exposure to to literature in various forms, um, I began to to ask you know larger questions and to to struggle to to learn uh, apart from my my you know public education. Um, so that was really the, the, I think, the beginning of teaching and the quest for me. It was a quest for knowledge that um, I wasn't ge- being provided for by the collective culture. Um, and uh, that, that uh, was an important um, part of my quest. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go back to Dan. I just want to add this thread because I know you like threads. So I want to add this thread. I mean, I was I was looking up the word guru, and I was uh, and and I was uh, um, interested to learn that the word guru, the Sanskrit word guru, comes from gu, which is darkness, and ru, which is light, and so. I wonder if while you're talking perhaps about some gurus that uh, or teachers that have uh, presented themselves as spiritual uh, wisdom holders, um, how has that impacted you? I mean, how is the you, you alluded to it before too? how has the shadow come into it and how has it helped you formulate in your life? What is truth? Mm-hmm. Well, as we know, shadows are only possible in the presence of uh, a light. Uh, so one goes with the other. Uh, and 
again, jumping back to this commitment to share with others uh, through an odd coincidence, a phone call I made to a friend who had, uh, in my senior year at Berkeley, uh, helped me step into the psychedelic experience uh, one time, which was enough, which uh, was really instrumental and formative in uh, giving me a preview and a promise of possibility. Um, so I gave him a call. I was a professor at that time at, at Oberlin and I was doing a research grant traveling around the world. And when I was in the Bay Area, um, San Francisco Bay Area, I uh, gave him a call and he said, Dan, I just completed this training. Drop everything if you can and do it. It was 40 days, uh, 10 hours a day. And I believe Ron also uh, it took the same the same training at a different time, um, so we have that in common for one thing. Um, perhaps different experiences of it, uh, but the man's name was Oscar Ichazo. Many people have heard of the Enneagram, for example, the various Enneagram books. Claudia Naranjo started a, a center in Berkeley. Um, and he taught students who eventually taught Helen Palmer, the Enneagram author, and Stephen Riso. And many people attribute it to Gurdjieff or the Jesuits or the Sufis. But um, they now acknowledge, all the modern-day Enneagram authors, that this, the source, the modern source of the depth of Enneagram material is from Oscar Ichaz, who really brought it into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was the man I called the professor. And I acknowledge him. As Ron said, we all have mentors everywhere. You know, you know that saying, um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. We've all heard it. But I think many people misunderstand that to think, and they, they believe that if they're somehow deserving enough or they've suffered enough or prepared enough, been initiated, then some teacher like Socrates will appear to kick them or guide them up the path. Uh, but I believe when the student is ready or paying attention, as you've hinted at before, the teacher appears everywhere. Uh, I learned a valuable lesson, a life-changing lesson, watching a cloud drift across the sky, watching trees bend in the wind. Nature has always been my primary teacher, and I think many people, including you, can relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, but when I exposed myself and I was able to do it, the circumstances allowed, how many people can do a 40-day training today? But at the time it was possible for us, this was, uh, early 70s um, and it was an see I need to provide context otherwise we're just jumping in with tunnel vision um, first of all this approach to living that I teach today called the peaceful warriors way and I can define that later if you wish but uh, a basic tenet is that there's no best teacher no best book, no best philosophy or religion or diet or system of exercise. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. Mm -hmm. um, life is an experiment. We have to find out what works for us. So I'm not claiming my teachers were the best. However, they were heavy hitters. Uh, Oscar Ichazo, the professor, had a global heritage of uh, spiritual technology. That you do these exercises, it leads to a more enlightened state. 
Um, and, and that was his promise. And, you know, Ron and I learned 30 different kinds of meditations for different purposes and breathe, deep breath work. Um, anything you've heard of, probably we did in this training, <laughs> including models of consciousness, levels of consciousness, uh, doors of tension release, um, uh, unconscious approaches to life. So it was a lot of shadow work as well as illuminating, inspiring type of material. But each of my, my the four mentors that I worked with and I relate in, in the new memoir um, w- were a radically different approach to spirituality, to life. Um, and they represent, though, the primary means people use. Uh, the professor was the technology approach. And today we see that. Uh, meditation techniques are taught as a technology. You do the meditations, you get mm-hmm. certain results. Um, um, Avatar, uh, NLP, um, EST, the old EST and the spinoffs of Forum, LifeSpring. Uh, all these trainings are technology oriented. Scientology, they have their Dianetics and their, their kind of thing too. Um, so many different schools, that's one approach people do to, to grow, to develop themselves. And that's, that was my experience in the school of the professor. Then I did advanced work later on. I became a teacher for Eureka. It was actually briefly a Berkeley Eureka house, Ron, uh, on the corner of Ashby and uh, Shattuck, I think it was. Um, (laughs) So, and I helped found that and paint the walls and put the carpets in and all that. Um, But I I ended up moving on and I'm not going to go into why, but the point is then I discovered the guru, radically different approach also, you had experience with him, known variously as Franklin Jones, Bubba Frijan, Da Frijan, Adi Da, uh-huh. so much. And he, he had the mojo. I mean, he really did. He attracted many people, including Ken Wilber. Alan Watts said, I've been looking for such a one my whole life. And so I wasn't alone. In, 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 and Wilber had an incredible testimonial about him in an early book. Um, but he said, I'd rather, I'd rather beat you with a stick than tell you to meditate your way to enlightenment. Because his approach was satsang, just sitting with him, having him transmit the divine that shone through him. Uh, and even though he had great teachings and wisdom, and he wrote many brilliant books, um, that was his approach, which is not technological. Um, so those are the first two mentors. And I only mention them right now because... Um, I wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior, inspired by my time, which was about 10 years with the professor and then the guru. I see. Um, and that's when I wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior. We can touch upon the other mentors if you like later, but I want to give Ron some air time too. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 very good. And of course, your your Way of the Peaceful Warrior introduces to us the 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 partly fictional character Socrates. Um, and uh, we might talk about that a little bit more later, but sure. I want to yes. turn it back to you, Ron, in particular, if you want to uh, address uh, that uh, it was a rather controversial figure, uh, Bubba Frijan. Um, um, and I don't know how much our audience knows about him, but it would be important to give some, some background. Um, and then um, also I want you to, at some point... Uh, I'd love for you to tell the story to us of how you met uh, uh, Stanley Krippner, because that was a, that's a great story and uh, and a great partnership that you've had. Go ahead. Well, to to back up a little bit from 
from the guru. One of the reasons we're here is is to you know give a give a plug to Dan's um, new memoir, which I've read um, in its entirety and learned so many things from that. Even having you know met forty five years ago, I was not aware, for example, that Dan had any you know, contact with Eureka. Um, and, and that was an experience that we've never discussed, but um, it is extremely relevant for both of us. Dan, mm-hmm. Dan's a little bit older than me, so he was, you know, um, my big brother there. He was ahead a, a of the curve. Um, Eureka was um, a very uh, powerful training um that i experienced also on the way to meet the same guru where where we met um Mm -hmm. i took the 40-day vermont advanced training sold my harley to be able to afford (laughs) the tuition (laughs) and uh and my my new bride at that time and and um while we were already you know, on our way to um, uh, more traditional spiritual um, practices um, with uh, the Soto tradition and the the wonderful um, Soto Buddhist Zen teacher, uh, Danan Katagiri Roshi, which was our interlude on the on the way to the West Coast. Um, we we you know bought a. Um, a, a camper van and outfitted it with uh, lots of granola and uh, headed to Vermont for 40 days for for an incredible uh, summer there uh, doing the uh, Eureka trainings. And for people that want to learn more about that, uh, Dan really uh, describes it very well in, in, in his memoir. But the way I found Oscar Achazo and Eureka, and I never met Oscar Achazo, um, but found out about it is because I had uh, encountered um, the teachings of uh, Gurdjieff and Duspensky while I was in college and was very, very impressed. And one of the things I was impressed by was, was Gurdjieff you know, devoting his life to studying the the Eastern esoteric traditions and uh, Mid-Eastern esoteric traditions. And, and uh, he was an introduction to, to Sufism, for example. And, and um, mm-hmm. um, through that and through my connection to Claudio Naranjo, who Dan mentioned, um, I found out about the um Eureka training and uh, that's why we attended it um it was a, a a very powerful experience um as dan said it was all about technologies we we were um you know studying how the the mind maps and all kinds of psychophysical um exercises um and and a generally healthy way of living um for me, that was a temporary uh, stop on the way to uh, Zen training. And then from there, 
uh, to the West Coast to, to get involved with um, Bubba Free John. One of the, the values for Bubba Free John in terms of, you know, to, to explore this concept of the shadow, which is very much uh, a concept from depth psychology, particularly um, Carl Jung, is that we have unconscious factors affecting our conscious lives and bleeding into our conscious lives that can erupt as various irrational, perhaps even pathological phenomena in our lives. Uh, if our lives are really messed up, it's probably because of some unconscious psychological conditioning, um, uh, probably stemming from early um, childhood parent dynamics. Um, sometime one of the, the hard lessons for me within the spiritual search, which tends by and large to ignore the shadow and think that enlightenment um, is, is, you know, seeing forms of light and positivity everywhere rather than understanding some negative and destructive um, capabilities that, that are part of human nature and that we all suffer from. So for Jung, for example, um, the, the real spiritual work is under, understanding uh, it, from the perspective of self-knowledge and self-discovery these unconscious factors that can really undermine our lives and cause great harm to others um, in the process. Um, Bubba Frijan was the guru in that sense of light and darkness very much. That was the paradox of, of his being. And one that's very hard to reconcile and can't be reconciled um, uh, by the intellect. Um, on one hand, as Dan said, he, he had extraordinary depth, brilliance, spontaneity. And, and for me and a lot of his, the people he attracted, um, uh, a, a city uh, or, or a cult spiritual power that's attributed to many um, adepts in the Hindu tradition that was tangible. Um, it, it, uh, I would, for me, I experienced it as, as divine presence. Mm -hmm. And um, it was everywhere. It permeated his being in the, the world um, of, of the, uh, the sanctuary where, where we went to see him um, that was extremely alluring, um, the, addicting even. Um, people wanted to feel that presence because it was like, a divine realm. It was not of, of this world or felt like that. Uh, and it was very palpable. And he had that ability to transmit that. On the other hand, um, as a human, and I think this is a key part I, uh, of the lessons for me, as a human, he was not developed. Um, he had extraordinary 
natural gifts, talents, brilliance, plus this city factor. On the one hand, at the same time, as a human, if you got to know him up close and personal, as, as I had the, the opportunity to do so, because I was part of his, his, you know, more intimate social circle, he was a maniac. Um, he, he was maybe the most promiscuous human uh, of our time. He was a total bad boy. He, he um, was extremely critical and demeaning of everyone around him. Uh, he used people. He exploited them for, for sex, for money, for everything. And, and uh, uh, for that reason, he, he gained a reputation as a sociopath, which I... Uh, tend to agree with uh, as an accurate psychological diagnosis. He, 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 he was the Donald Trump of gurus, if that makes any sense. Uh, but Ron, let me just Okay, interject. that was very good. Go ahead. Let me just, just interject that Please. Uh, one of the, our fellow community members, and I was there almost eight years, um, he said he was a brilliant spiritual master who would have benefited from going through a 12-step program. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's Absolutely. Um, Interesting. So, okay. so that was the shadow side. There, there was a light side that was brilliant and inspiring, and there was a shadow side that was highly destructive to uh, most people around him. Ronald, I'm going to need to jump in here. I'm going to have to get back to Stanley Krippner. Sure. We do, we, we, that's, that's, that's part of the question, but I, I, I do want to come back to that. But I'm going to turn it over to Dan a little bit now, because you've with your new with your new memoir, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, you've come clean about something that's been a big mystery to people who've been following your career for a long time as to the character Socrates, um, and I think you probably avoided sharing exactly where that character came from, and maybe you don't even know in total where the character comes from. Um, but it is a very interesting character for those that haven't read the first book, that you meet the gas station attendant, you, or actually the service station attendant, right? Because it's, he's in service. It's a very important distinction. Um, and he becomes this pivotal character in, in, in your books. Uh, so how much was he based on, on uh, uh, these uh, um, guru figures that were both shadow and light? And uh, how much did he come in from another, something else, some kind of creative, uh, from your creative imagination? Sure. And I do, I do take the opportunity to, to uh, clarify all that, because I did leave it uh, vague enough to be mysterious uh, in the original book. And I did, he is based on a cosmical guy I did meet in a service station on the corner of Oxford and Hearst in Berkeley, California. Um, and... He just reminded me of the ancient Greek sage, so I nicknamed him Socrates. That's, I thought of him as that. But uh, truly, I, I used that character years later. I said, I want to share what I learned, but I don't know how. So I'll just write an autobiographical type story, but I'll mix in some, some fiction for the sake of teachings and the sake of the story. So it blended both. Um, 
And, and I think you can both relate. You know, the whole idea in the metaphysical world of channeled beings, 20,000-year-old uh, entities from another dimension, somebody, they speak through a human being and all that. My own view is it's depth psychology. My own view is that it's within the psyche of the person speaking, but they see it as a separate being that they're channeling. But I can see the value in it because if I had written that book and just said, I'm Dan Millman and here's what I have to share with you, I don't think I could have stepped into the big mind and big heart. But having this character like Socrates to say the wisdom and me playing the adolescent student and resist, often resistant uh, student, uh, I was able to really step beyond myself and transcend myself. So it gives me some empathy with these people, the so-called channels. Of, of various means of higher wisdom. And uh, I was able to rise to the occasion through this character. So uh, one way I put it in the book is Socrates is absolutely real. Dan Millman is a fictional character. <laughs> well, I appreciate your, your sense of humor. And it's... Uh... Yeah, we're all we're a verb, as uh, Bucky Fuller used to say. So, okay. so the the nouning of Dan Millman, the nouning of Ronald Boyer, are definitely <laughs> fictional um, because we're 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 evolving, we're changing all the well, time. In a sense, is in a sense, I think Stanley Krippner, in a way, what, what is Ron's Socrates? In, in some sense, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, Ron. Yes. Well, let's go back to that. So tell us the story. Go, please, right to it of how. Well, I, I want to, you know, lean into uh, Dan's creative process as an author here for, for a second, because he, he's touching on something that fr from the view of depth psychology, um, Jung called active imagination. And um, Jung's Red Book, which has only been recently published, you know, in the last last decade, um, describes his creative process as an artist, which was the basis for um, for his his you know vast um, theories in in depth psychology, and. I would see Socrates from a Jungian lens as the, the self with a capital S and the, the fiction of Dan Melman as, you know, the self with a little s, the ego mm. personality. Mm. Um, and it's that self with a capital S that, speaking for myself, I made the mistake of projecting onto others, including Bubba Free John. Mm -hmm. And I was looking to find in him what was already in me. Mm -hmm. and, right. and that I was projecting and giving my power to in an objective uh, externalized figure. 
well, rather than, than owning it. So I just wanted to make that point. Good, that Ronald. Capi- that, that goes back to S. our first question. Where does yes. awareness come from? So the awareness was already right. in you. Yes. Okay, that, good. That, yeah. that capital S also refers to Superman or Stanley Krippner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's and some back to Stanley, not please, to project onto Stanley. Stanley is do, not a young man. He's waiting for you to, to get to Though to carry, you know, carry out the, uh, the, the metaphor, Stanley Krippner is definitely a fictional character. And one of our my friends or our friends who's a novelist actually treated him as a fictional character in, a, in his novel. So uh-huh. uh, there's some, uh-huh. some truth to that. Uh, which is all to say uh, larger than life. Um, I met Stanley, uh, my, my, as I was becoming more self-aware as a college student, um, I had the, the, the great benefit of meeting one of the great uh, pioneers in, in uh, humanistic psychology. Uh, Marion Kinjay was her name. And it was through Marion Kinjay that I learned of the writings of, you know, Rollo May and Carl Rogers and Stanley Krippner and that whole whole crowd who who were, you know, uh, working at Esalen, developing technologies for transformation that included and made room for teachers, you know, coming from the East. Alan Watts was part of that circle also. Um, I met Stanley, uh, so I knew of Stanley's work by reputation. And when I made the the move to come West, uh, to, to move to San Francisco, it was with the intention of going from book learning by these mentors to live learning, to actually meet them, to dialogue with them, to, to, you know, participate in workshops and so forth. Um, And um, one day while I was um, uh, during the time that Dan and I were both in 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 this spiritual community, I was sitting on a bench in San Rafael at the bus stop. And wondering, you know, uh, what is my purpose from a vocational standpoint? You know, do, do I sell organic vegetables like I am now? Is that what I'm meant to be doing uh, with other members of our community who were, who were pioneers in, in, in natural foods? Um, um, or, or is there something more <laughs> intended for me? I was a pretty young guy at this time. And as I was sitting there, this, this interesting looking man got off the bus and approached me. And he was carrying a, a big leather suitcase and it had um, Soviet Academy of USSR, Soviet Academy of Sciences bumper sticker on, on his on his bag, which immediately caught my attention because it was the height of the Cold War. And I didn't know that anyone from America had any contact with the Soviet Union. And and when he sat down next to me, I couldn't help myself. I said, excuse me, but I noticed your sticker, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, I, I'm just coming back from uh, giving my keynote address to the Soviet Academy of of sciences. And, and so that got me going. And, uh, 
a number of other questions uh, ensued. And then finally I said, um, may I know your name? And um, he said, um, Stanley Krippner. Boom. Okay. You're one of the guys who I came all the way across country to meet at Esalen, wow. right? Beautiful. And um, it, it went from, he was very, you know, kind of closed. Uh, I would ask him a question and he'd give me a little bit. So, so, so what do you do for a living? Well, I write and I teach. Well, what do you write about? Oh, you know, um, psychology. Which branch of psychology? First force, second force, third force, that got his attention. Yes. Right? And he said, do you know about humanistic psychology? And then it was, yes, I studied with Marion Kinjay at Michigan State. Oh, Marion, you know, because he, he knew her. Uh -huh. um, and um, uh, by the time we got up, my bus came and he gave me his number. And I, my quest then, as I said, I, I really lo would love to write and teach about psychology. And he said, well, you know, you have to get a Ph.D. to do that. But here's my card. Give me a call. Give me your information. I was living Very in a household with 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 our friends, uh, Dan, at that time, Terry, Terry Patton. Oh, and um, oh, yes. Soon thereafter, I got a call. Terry said, hey, there's this guy, Dr. Stanley Krippner on the line for you. And that began our relationship wow. and, uh, and the rest is history. year career, you know, <laughs> career and, and friendship and collegiality uh, starting when he hired me, actually gave me money to, you know, write on psychology. So, wow. well, thank <laughs> you. Story. Thank you for that story, and thank you for the work you're doing with the Krippner Center for Indigenous Studies. Um, I'm going to come back to you in a second, Ron, but uh, we're, we're, we're near the... Near, minutes are illusory, you understand. I mean, <laughs> days are real, years are real, you know, everything else, we're just trying to chop up something that's real. But but in the podcast world, we uh, people, it people believe in it more. But anyway, I'm going to I'm going to come back to 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 Dan because I was very interested in the uh, in the end of your book. I think it's in the uh, in your in your new book, uh, "Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit." You talk about uh, a realization that you had that uh, that uh, first. Mountains and uh, mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers. Then, after deep insight work, mountains are no longer just mountains, and rivers are no longer mere rivers, but rather profound and meaningful metaphors. But finally, at the end of your search, mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers. I found that very profound, but I would like you to. <laughs> to explain that a little bit to the audience if you if you if you could and and in the context too of was that the thread of that that kind of tied together your life story there it's really very meaningful but yeah it it, it is reflective of my, my journey uh, a writer named barbara rasp once said the lesson is simple the student is complicated <laughs> so i had to i had to get through the complications 
And after the guru, I worked with a man I called the warrior priest, very dramatic, very practical. He gave me really the tools for my calling. That's when I stepped forward and started teaching similar to what I do now, uh, stepping out of the sports arena into everyday life, life skills, spiritual life skills, if you will. Um, and finally, the sage, the fourth mentor, really brought me back to earth. And that was really back to mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers, and stop making it complicated. Uh, but, and by the way, he was a psychologist, an anthropological psychologist who graduated. One of his uh, uh, fellow uh, graduate students at UCLA was named Carlos Castaneda. Um, oh, so they yes. knew each other pretty well. And, um, but he, he pointed out, based on his lineage, uh, some aspects of reality and things we can control and can't control. Um, and an approach to living which brings up the most important question that shapes our life, which is, what do I need to do right now? Um, back to the present moment, orientation, the moment of power, the moment of sanity. So it, that was back to mountains or mountains and rivers or rivers. Uh, it represented a kind of completion. But after the guru, after the professor and the guru, I wasn't looking for any new teachers. I felt I'd had the heavy hitters. And yet I found them anyway, um, first the warrior priest and through those circumstances, and then the sage, the man I call the sage, David K. Reynolds, PhD. Mm. Um, uh, he's still living uh, up in Oregon. And yes, so I'm grateful to all the teachers. Of, uh, and one of the themes repeated throughout the book is that all teachers are human and all humans have flaws and foibles, including me. <laughs> and, and in a sense that we're all students, we're all teachers, we teach by our example, and we share what we can. Um, so that's a pretty good way in, in the closing minutes, I, I can summarize. Um, you know, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you for that, Dan. Thank you. Um, and so, so back to Ron, and in a, in a, in a few minutes, what is what is the uh, it might have come from Stanley Krippner, but whatever it was on your journey, what is that thread that's tying together your your life story of, that we can share with our audience? Well, I, I I think I share that with what you and Dan just discussed, um, and and I was unaware of. Uh, the sage in your work with him, Dan, but I was really delighted to that, that your, you know, formal teaching lives uh, and, and student life um, ended with that kind of approach to life. It, it, which is a trajectory that went from ordinary life to extraordinary life back to the integration of the two as the extraordinary, ordinary life. Um, and, and what you um, alluded to is one of the positive aspects of, of um, our encounter with uh, Bubba Frijan was his teaching of divine ignorance, which was basically a a deconstruction of, of ordinary consensual reality in the moment. 
that brings us to the the extraordinary mystery of life itself and the and the renewal that comes from not taking anything for granted whether you know whether it's carrying out the garbage or whatever and and i think you know the the error of of my youth was looking for you know uh, a state of samadhi uh that was beyond anything i'd already experienced and wanting that to be the permanent state of things rather than understanding that awareness itself in every moment in other words being present was what it's about being present with every moment of our lives whether uh it it's a seems positive or whether it seems negative from a conventional standpoint it's it all reflects reality as it is and and the the sage um helped bring that home for you his, his teaching is very much informed uh by japanese and buddhist right mm. aesthetics and sensibility which is all about understanding that the phenomenal world is in constant flux everything beautiful changing everything is appearing and disappearing but in the midst of that we can be aware in a non-judgmental way with what is and um if there's anything that i've got from this whole process that's what it's about now we're getting into um native america but uh, yes. when you start talking about flux that's that's a uh, that's that's a uh, that's something i love to uh, that'll have to be another another interview but uh, any last second thoughts dan because last second um I often advise people to stop comparing themselves to other people. They're either going to feel superior or inferior. It's a profound disrespect for our own process. When I was a young coach, I found that some people learn somersaults uh, quicker than others, but those who took longer to learn often learn them better than those who learned more quickly. So we need to respect our own uh, our own approach to learning and to living, and uh, that sense of self trust, which. Ron and I probably uh, took a hit with the guru. Uh, we finally regained and stepped forward into life to share our, our truth in our own way of expression. So, uh, and speaking of flux, uh, my, my two and a half year old granddaughter just arrived. So I'm going to have to shift my priorities right now and go <laughs> say hello to her. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for joining us. I'm just going to say a couple of uh, closing comments, and then we're going to we're going to we're going to wrap it up. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. There's a lot of people I know that you guys also know from Claudio Naranjo. I knew Dion Marks too. He used to be with her when she died prematurely, but uh, uh, also at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Um, I just really enjoyed this 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 uh, deep dive. 
And, you know, sometimes it seems like the, the teachers that throw us off a little bit, they might, they might confuse us, but it later on works in our benefit when we reintegrate things at a higher level. And I think you two both are shining examples of that. Um, so there's really no bad teaching in a way if you, if you appreciate that as everything is a blessing and you learn and you learn in your own way and you come to your own understanding and that, and it's so beautiful, as you're saying, Dan, to to share that with other people because they need to hear that and they need to find their own way. So this is really a great key. You uh, and I, I appreciate this so much. Thank you very much. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, BizGenix, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel. Producer and editor is Kanichi Sugihara. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD. Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. This podcast is available on Select Books, uh, Inc. Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are normally heard. For more information, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us. And you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics, there. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ron, for coming on. And until next week, many blessings of good health and well-being to all. Thank you so much. 